Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. As usual, I'm Mike, and uh, we got Tim and Josh here with me today in the studio. What's going on, guys? Hello, hello. Well, I'm ready to hear Josh's story. About I'm ready. Yeah, we were talking. So I had to, uh, Josh was telling a story, and I'm like, you know what? This sounds like great intro material. We're going to have to uh, turn on the recording. So Josh's dog ate a blanket. It's not, this is not a great intro material. My, my, my sorrows are not your guys' enjoyment. Let's be I clear love that. it. I'll tell it for, I'll tell it for the listeners, not for you guys. Yeah, okay. So, and let's talk about, this is my first time on an intro in a little while. Yeah, <laughs> it is. A minute. Cause I got to come back with a bang. I've been, but. I've been having to do it by myself and it's kind of lonely. And then, you know, you have to kind of like monologue and you feel like you're talking to the air, but really there are people out there that are going to hear me talking later. It's very weird. Literally just described a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> I'll tell any story in the world and make this stop. Uh, so I, I'm listening. I'm just sitting there doing work and I hear some ripping going on behind me. And she's do- never chewed on anything. Ripping's never good. Well, she's never chewed on anything. So it just didn't click in my head. And I look behind me and uh, she like looks super guilty. And mm-hmm. she she has she has bad tell signs. She You can always tell when she did something wrong. So she, she <laughs> not huddles a good, up. She huddles not a good up, poker face. Huddles up in a corner and there's like two strands left on the carpet uh-huh. or on the, on the couch. So I grab the rug or what is it? What is a blanket? Not a rug. And the whole corner, at least a quarter foot of the corner is missing. What's more impressive, it wasn't ripped up like she had eaten it and swallowed it. <laughs> a whole blanket. So now she's not going to get dinner because she's full on blanket. She, wait, she blankets. ate the whole blanket? <laughs> a foot, a quarter, a, a square foot of it. A square foot of it? Like that can't be good for your digestive system. <laughs> Completely unfazed. She'll poop it out, no doubt. She can poop out anything. You could put a brick in her and she would poop it out. She'll just be fine. Yeah. She's a poop machine. Uh, <laughs> well... You guys are learning a little more about Josh today. He has a dog that can eat anything and poop anything out. So comment on uh, this episode and let us know what we should feed Josh's dog next. I was just talking today to somebody about how I wanted, I like the idea of having a dog. And anytime that comes up, same with kids, like I'm, I don't want kids and I know that for a fact, mm-hmm. but you know, but I mean, you like the idea of kids for a second. No, no, I, I'm Never. well, I'm past that, but a dog every now and then, but then even like these stories, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. At yeah. All. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like snow, like it's cool for like a week. And then I'm like, mm, I don't want to walk you anymore. Yeah. You, you walk, walk, you walk snow. snow. How much <laughs> snow can you, can you post a YouTube video on our social media? <laughs> you walking walk snow. snow. <laughs> I'd like to see that as well. It's tough, but you know, you put it in a bucket, you carry it around. It's, uh, it's I, quite really, I would love to watch that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get serious for a moment here. This week's guest is uh, Brad Wasserstrom and ba- Brad, really great guy. Had, had a lot to say, a lot to talk about, and it was cool to talk about his business, but uh, Josh wasn't here. So me and Tim got to go a little off the rails, get a little deep <laughs> and actually got a little dark at times. Uh, Tim was, Tim was talking about, I don't remember what it was, but you got dark on us. Yeah, it was, yeah. You know, sometimes you just got to talk about some stuff. Sometimes you got to talk about some serious stuff. So we brought it back though. It was entertaining. Mm -hmm. I like what he had to say. It was fun. Yeah. Um, you know, Brad was a great sport about it. I mean, he, he enjoyed the conversation. I think we even got into a little bit about AI self-learning robots and how it could be the end of the world. So all over the place, but also great content and, uh, you know, a lot of great talking about, uh, uh, Brad's business and his family business has been around a long time in the restaurant industry. So hope you guys all enjoy this episode. Um, and as usual, we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. 
We're explorers and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, a little uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believed in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Olman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7-365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike. We got Tim over here today. What's going on, Tim? Who's Josh? Who's Josh? I don't know, man. He's <laughs> So Josh has been called away on another trip. And uh, I mean, he, right. at this point, yeah, yeah. You just get to hear more of me and Tim. Hopefully enjoy that. Um, we're going to miss Josh, but uh, we're really excited. One of our guests today is uh, actually our only guest today is uh, Mr. Brad Wasserstrom. And Brad is the president of the Wasserstrom Company, which is headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. And they're the world's leading restaurant supplier and distributor of food service supplies and equipment. Since 1902, Wasserstrom has provided food service operators with high quality products like kitchen supplies, catering supplies, et cetera, from the industry's leading manufacturers. And Brad graduated from Arizona State University with a degree in marketing before getting his MBA at the Ohio State University's Fisher College of Business. Uh, he entered into the family business as a VP after completing his MPA and has since then moved up the ranks, taking the helm as president in 2009. We're really excited to have Brad on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Brad. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm really honored. I looked at the list of guests you've had, and I uh, just really feel good that you consider me worthy. Well, thank you for that. We'll take the compliment. And uh, yeah, we've always had a lot of incredible people on the show, but really excited to get a chance to learn more about you and the Wasserstrom Company today, though. So, you know, one of the things that uh, we always like to just start off with is for our listeners who don't know about you or your company, a little background, maybe even talk a little bit about highlights in your life growing up all the way up till now, but just really, really focused in on background on you, yourself, and the company. Sure. So I was born and raised here in Columbus. Company was started by my great-grandfather, and it's been in the family ever since. Um, grew up in the business somewhat. My dad, when I was probably six or seven years old, said, you want to go to an Ohio State game? This is the first game I got to go to. And he, I said, yeah. He said, well, you got to come to work with me on Saturday. And um, at the store, we at the time, we just had a single store downtown and he took me in there and I did whatever as a little kid. And uh, so I was always around the business and I joke around that there's a picture of me when I'm about six months old in my car carrier on the sales counter at our first employee open house. And I've got this little name tag. Hello, my name is Brad. I joke around that, that was my first day of work. And um, so I've, I was always around the business. When I got into high school, I would work summers or vacations, weekends, and um, didn't think I'd go into the business. And I, I graduated from ASU and the economy was not great. And at the time we had a friendly competitor that wanted to sell. He had no one that in his family wanted to buy the business. So he was talking to us about it. And before I knew it, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. My family's bought a business there and offered me a job. And I had no other prospects. And literally I got down to about $200 in my bank account. And I said, well, 
I, I could drive back home to Columbus, Ohio and live with my parents and work in the family business, or I could stay in Phoenix, Arizona, living on my own and work in the family business. So it took me about two seconds once I got to that realization and I started working the business. And um, we are a wholly family owned, like, like I said earlier, um, distributor of food service, mainly food service equipment and supplies. We take in 30,000 orders a week or whatever the number is. We service mainly chains, but we also do an awful lot of independent restaurants here in Ohio and Kentucky, uh, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico. We have the Southwest and the Midwest kind of covered. Everything from a mom and pop restaurant might come into one of our retail stores. We've got an online presence. We've got a street sales force in those regional areas I talked about. And then we, we handle these large restaurant hotel chains, primarily grocery stores, convenience stores, anywhere where there's food service. And we're good at chain logistics. So we take in a lot of orders. We have a lot of diverse customers that have a lot of needs and we kind of do customized programs for them. So does this mean like refrigerators or like grills or what, what kind of yeah. stuff is it? That yeah. So an equipment package would have your refrigerators, grills, fryers, anything you can imagine going in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And then on the supply side, it's tabletop items, it's janitorial, it's storage, it's prep. So it's frying pans and it's knives and it's glassware and it's trash cans. And it's sometimes it's 20 foot ladders and sometimes it's little tomato cores. It's, we have about 220,000, I think I could be wrong. SKUs in our database and about 80,000 items in stock across our warehouses that are across the United States. That sounds like a nightmare. As someone <laughs> In a lot of ways it I, is. I ran a clothing company for a long time and, and had no idea what I was doing getting into it and learned, you know, all the time. And I actually just got, I run another brand that I, I have some merch because that's my background. I can't mm -hmm. get away from it. And the worst part was always uh, inventory and managing the inventory. I had a call yeah. with a buddy this weekend who, who does the same thing. And he's talking about Amazon just invested like $400 million in Corneat. They're like a, a direct to garment printer. We're getting a little bit off of food service, but it was back. We, we had the first one, I think in definitely in Ohio, but maybe in the first one in the U S like a Israeli made direct to garment. So instead of printing a, you know, a ton of screen printed t-shirts, you would just run one off like a, basically like an inkjet printer for t-shirts. It was not a refined service then, but it is now. And that was like one of the, the hardest things. And one of the reasons I ultimately got out of it was having a warehouse full of stuff, you know, and the better you do, the more you have to buy, then you have SKUs and then maybe one shirt, but there's seven sizes. So all of that to say, how does that, is that something that you manage? Is that the hardest part of it? What is like, what no, is the day-to-day? -day, is that something that you have to touch at all? Or are you? I've got a team of great people. We, to be honest, I'm not sure how many people we have today. I know in February we had about 1900. Mm -hmm. I've got a great team around me. I, I believe in you hire great people, you give them the tools to succeed, and then you stay out of their way. Mm -hmm. And so I, I hire experts in their fields. And what I say is, I, I hired about a year and a half ago a new sales executives. And I, and I said to her, I said, the way I'm going to manage is I'm giving you the keys to the bus. It's your decision who you're going to put on the bus and what seats they're going to sit in, and you drive the bus. Every once in a while, though, I reserve the right to jerk the steering wheel if I see you're going to go off the road. Mm -hmm. And so I've got inventory experts that manage that stuff. You know, it's, it's a lot of, you got to have IT capabilities with forecasting and demand planning software, and it's got to feed a big ERP to make all this stuff work. Um, I'm the guy behind the strings that kind of breaks down barriers for people. And I, I try to give the right resources. Now it's a tough industry. Our toughest thing is meeting our customers' expectations at the price that they want. It's a highly complex world uh, when you have, Burger chain A 
and Taco Chain B and all these different players that all want something a little bit different. And we have to manage that for them. Mm-hmm. So our hardest thing is doing that in a system that we might call this one thing for a customer, call it something else for another customer, call it something else for yet another customer. And we'll have different cost base on the item. We buy it to sell the general public, or they may have negotiated direct with the manufacturer. We have to keep all that stuff separate and Mm -hmm. be able to track it all. And like I said, we have great people. We have a really robust IT department that that handles um, SAP, runs our office. Mm -hmm. And we need something that robust with that kind of power to do it all. Frankly, sometimes when I sit back and think about it, I I can sometimes get just blown away by numbers. It's intimidating. But then I think, well, there's also companies like Cardinal Health and and Limited and Kroger that are X times bigger than we are. And um, they they manage stuff on a completely different scale. Amazon, because you mentioned them, I don't know how many tens of millions of SKUs they have. And now they don't handle them all. A lot of them are drop shipped by third parties. Mm -hmm. But they're handling an awful complex system and they have all kinds of diversity of product, right? Yeah. So in that regard, I'm kind of simple. Yeah. And speaking of, uh, I, that was one of my next questions was, you know, you've been around for how long did you say a hundred years or something? The company's been oh, around? No, well, well, I'm not that old. Well, well you have been <laughs> 1902, right? Wasserstrom got it started. Yeah. So 118 yeah. years. Uh, yeah. I mean, has, uh, and you, what, you said you graduated from Arizona state. Was that like, what, what year was that? Do you, if you don't mind saying? Uh, it was March of 1993. So this is still pre-online retailers kind of. Oh yeah. So in yeah. your tenure with the company, has that something you've had to battle with is the rise of online retailers Absolutely. And, and the ease of access to products? In a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon, for instance, and back in the earlier days, eBay, your mm-hmm. bank website, they've taught us all as consumers to have certain expectations of service, of ease of mm-hmm. doing the transaction, of, of all these things, transparency of information. You take all of those and then put them into my world. I'm expected to have an Amazon-like experience online with Amazon-like service, with reporting capabilities like your bank, mm-hmm. and be able to do it at margins that are not Amazon-like. Mm-hmm. So where Amazon is at, I don't know, the last time I looked, 58% or something gross margin, we're at a sliver of that. We're mm-hmm. wholesale distribution, not retail distribution. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure that out and we have to educate our customers constantly about why our world is like this and Amazon's like that. And sometimes, you know, it, it's not always easy. We lose business to Amazon. I'm sure we do. And there's a player in our industry, in fact, that has taken on that low price, low service model. I'm always saying to our officers and, and our, our leadership team, look, the adage is you can have great products, great service, um, or low price, but you can only pick two of those three. What is it? It's like cheap, fast, and reliable. Yeah, yeah. And and I deal with customers as diverse as fast food, 99-cent menu kind of people, all the way up to chains or fine dining one-offs that are charging $50, $7,500 a person, right? Mm-hmm. They expect very different things. A hotel client expects something very, very different than a convenience store or a supermarket. And yeah. somehow we've, we've built this sometimes overly complex monster that somehow make, it goes. And I'm lucky I've got a family around me. My cousin, who's a co-president with me, he runs part of the company, I run part. Um, I can rely on. My dad is still somewhat in the business, my uncles. And, and through them all, I've got resources to rely on and, and experience there and and somehow it all comes together and produces some black number on the bottom line sometimes, I guess. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. 
Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. You know, being a company since 1902, right, there's had to have been some changes in the product and the way people do business and everything, basically, right? Yeah, we're not delivering by a horse-drawn cart anymore. Right, yeah. I mean, uh, that. so when you look at how things have changed over time, right, it seems like your team in general and the company in general has been able to shift with the times. Has that always been the case? Like, do you think like your family and like, it's just been passed down? Like everyone's just like, Hey, we're going to stay, we're going to be innovative. We're going to stay ahead of the curve the whole time. Or, you know, has that changed over time? So that's a great question. And I think you hit it right on the head. It's been passed down back in the old world when we could all be together. My CFO and I would host all of our new hires every month and we would tell them the story of our founding and talk to them about our core values and and our mission and, and why we're there. And in that story, I tell it purposefully, and I talk about my great-grandfather. He started the company in 1902, whatever the company meant back then. It was really selling stuff off a horse-drawn cart. And um, he had ultimately 12 kids. I'm not sure exactly when number 12 was born and number one was born, but he started tending bar at night to make ends meet. And then he bought the bar. And then Prohibition comes along, and it's a bad time to own a bar. So he and the older sons at that point turned the bar into a store that could sell. It sold malt and hops, basically all the ingredients you needed to make beer. And that was a successful business. And they turned that into a chain locally of about 12 stores. And then Prohibition ends. And that's a bad business to be in. So we recreated ourselves into two parts. One was we had the first wine distribution license in the state of Ohio. There was a company in Cleveland, I'm told, that had a liquor license. We got the first wine license. And we created the store that became kind of the founding of the modern version of our company, restaurant and bar, equipment and supplies. But then over time, things would change. And some of my great uncles, um, my grandfather, they had a thought, let's get into manufacturing. So we got into wood manufacturing and then metal manufacturing. And so opportunities presented themselves there. And we constantly were shifting and we've created businesses over time, some we've sold off, some we've had to shut down. But it's always trying to stay in line with what's current. We had this wine distribution business. We sold that when that industry consolidated. We had an office supply and furniture store that grew into a small chain of three stores. That eventually was consolidated by Staples and Office Depot, and we couldn't compete. So we morphed that store, eventually closing it, I don't know, five years ago. Over time, we've had to do that. A big shift for us came in 1969. Dave Thomas walked into our store and met my father. And they very quickly struck up a dialogue and a relationship that the next day, my dad went to see him to collect payment for that first order, I guess you'd call it. And they became friends. And then Dave said, I'm going to open up a burger chain and I'm going to name it after my daughter, Wendy. And if I'm really lucky, I'll have 10 stores one day. And so some of it I think was, they did a little better than that. Yeah, I think he uh, <laughs> think he hit that one. <laughs> yeah, he hit that one square on the sweet spot, right? And he had people around him that were peeling off and creating other chains. If you were in Columbus in the late 70s, as my uncle and dad liked to tell me, I was just a kid eating these places, eating at these places, but they would tell me it was kind of like Silicon Valley 
in Columbus for fast food, particularly fast food restaurants, but chain restaurants of all sorts. You had Dave bringing in talent and you had a, a thing where a lot of population is here in the Midwest. And so these things started. And then my family saw, well, there's this new thing growing. It would later become called chain restaurants. And we pivoted and put an awful lot of our company resource into that, while we also maintained the traditional selling model of what's called a dealership, selling to the mom and pops and whatever. So we've morphed. Today, we have a data center business called Rack Squared, completely separate from what we do. But it's, um, for one of our customers, we're their entire IT department. And for some, we're nothing more than like a Dropbox kind of competitor of just cloud um, storage solutions. We can do backups. We've got um, redundancy capabilities, et cetera. Has nothing to do with food service, but we saw an opportunity and we went after it. And it's a nice business for us. And we see a lot of growth opportunity there. There's nothing to say that in 10 years that won't be bigger than food service. Who really knows? I, I don't know if it will be, right? Mm-hmm. It's certainly a needed service today. Yeah. And and so, and how involved is the rest of the family in all of this? I mean, you mentioned your dad's still involved, but is anybody else in the family still also? So yeah, there's nine family members involved in the business today. In my dad's generation, there's four members that are in various states of retirement, Um all four of them spend part of their winters down south, but they're all still connected and they all have an office and they come in and 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 they're absolutely the greatest advisors I could have, right? They've all got years and years of experience. And then in my generation, there's my cousin Eric and I who are the co-presidents. And then um, cousin Laura, Seth, Kelly, Marcy. And if I forgot someone, uh, I'm going to be in big trouble and I should edit, Kelly is my sister. She'll be very upset if she hears me Call her my cousin. If it's a cousin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kelly's in Cleveland. Seth's in Phoenix. Other than that, we're all here in Columbus. And we all do different things, whether it's sales or some operational administrative work. Uh, we all have our kind of our roles. Mm-hmm. And Eric and I have just been the ones that have, um, we were the first two of our generation into the business. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got a jump start. And there's always family around. Right. It's, the reason I ask that is, so my mom's family owns a Pepsi distribution plant like one of the only family owned left um, in Southern Oregon and everybody's kind of evolved. And that's where some of these other ideas come from. A lot of the times, like my cousin ended up that I think they put in um, Bitcoin mining basically right in the basement of part of the building and are doing a bit, little Bitcoin mining operation there. But like some of these little ideas that can turn into bigger things as you continue to grow and move like, it makes sense that you have branch offs like that. Is that kind of what, you know, do you have a lot of those ideas popping up from different areas of the co- like family, like people just coming in like, Hey, you know what, we should get into this and then we explore it. Or do those opportunities present themselves in different ways? It's kind of yes to both of those, right? Sometimes an idea sprouts up because there's this family dynamic where we have these conversations and I can lean in on someone else's experience. That's partly how the, the rack squared business came to be. We had a problem and we had started outsourcing some of our storage solutions. It was very expensive for a rack. And having some real estate experience through my Uncle Reed, I knew that we could almost buy a building for what we were paying for one rack space. And I said to him, hey, if you could find a building, we could put all of our stuff there. And and I think he kind of thought there'd be too much square footage. We needed like eight racks of space. But I was looking more at numbers and Sure enough, we found this great opportunity. It was an AT&T building they wanted to vacate. The caveat on the building was, we'll sell it to you really cheap, but you got to take all the equipment inside. And so, and most of it was old phone systems, outdated stuff. 
So fine, we took it, we rolled up our sleeves, figured it out, got the building retrofitted, and it's a great data center. It's got two sources of electric, this giant generator that I, I'm not, it would about fit in this room. It's got everything you need to be a top tier data center. And we put our business in there and then we start branching out and, and we have, I wanna say about 30 customers now outside of our business. Business has been around just a couple years. So that got started kind of through a family connection. Sometimes it's an associate will say something. And we try to, te- to, to treat every associate as a member of the extended family. So sometimes they'll have an idea. And I think a lot of the best ideas come from the people doing the work. It's certainly not from the top down. We're looking too macro in a lot of ways. So an associate will have an idea and we'll kind of look at it. And if it makes sense, we'll pursue it. Certainly not everything works. A lot of times you fail, but you learn from your failures, probably even more than your successes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, it's gotten us to where we are. So yeah, we keep morphing and we, we got into a new technology piece this year. We're selling a, we're partnered on a piece of technology called Pop Entry, which is a facial recognition temperature taking device that can open your door. So for restaurant operators that need to take people's temperatures, their associates can come to the door be let in without a manager having to stop what they're doing every time someone shows up for their shift and take their temperature with a thermometer. That's got some further development that'll take us past the COVID era, past temperature taking. It's all kinds of facial recognition opportunities for us. And that'll take us places. And maybe the place is a dead end, but we'll learn some other things that will probably Mm -hmm. take us to other places. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of that scratch your own itch. We talk about a lot. Most of the good ideas come from fixing a problem that you're experiencing Mm -hmm. rather than trying to, you know, guess about a problem or whatever. It also sounds a lot like in real estate buying a a duplex, right? And then you run out the other side to cover your costs Mm -hmm. with, with, uh, you know, it's like we need rack space rather than renting it. How can we do this? Yeah, we've gotten into that in our manufacturing business. So we still do wood manufacturing. We still do stainless manufacturing. But we've gotten now into booths and um, we got into solid surfacing. So like Corian and granite, marble. We got into that because we were buying so much. We realized, hey, if we could buy the equipment at the right price, we could hire a couple people and pay ourselves Mm -hmm. and make more money doing it than outsourcing it. We did that. Then we got into, and this is my cousin's side of the business, so he really understands it better. We have a glass tempering oven, one of the few in the state of Ohio. So we started tempering our own glass and cutting our own glass. We use a lot of glass, well, when people had salad bars. And <laughs> we would go through a lot of glass. So we started up our own business of glass tempering. And um, it just takes us to places, I don't know, we probably have gotten into new things more than I even am aware of. And we've probably discontinued a lot more things than I'm even aware yeah, of. Yeah, I was going to say, is, can you think of anything? Because that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Like I have this problem where all of my hobbies tend to turn into a business or a way to make money and I can't, I need to just have some stuff that I enjoy. Can you think of any time when you're like, oh, we should do this, you know, to supplement the money or it'll cheaper. And then when you actually got into it, you realize you should have just bought it or kept the old way. Well, we tried something a few years ago. We tried outsourcing the management of our distribution centers, and it was a colossal failure. I mean, I would say today, I said to my father, in fact, just about a week ago, we were talking about it, and I said, that was no doubt the biggest failure of my career. I mean, hands down, we were bleeding money from this thing. And we got it turned around, we fixed it, and we got back to where we needed to be. But what I said to him last week was, if it wasn't for that experience, going back to you learn more from your failures sometimes, and I didn't understand it till now. If it wasn't for that experience, I don't know how mentally I would have coped with COVID. Not that I've had it. I mean, 
the stress of the change of the world. And I'm looking at an industry that in some ways is going through, some people are calling it an extinction event. I don't think restaurants are going to be extinct by any means, but we're going to shrink our restaurant footprint in this country an awful lot in the next yeah. four months. That and movie theaters. Movie theaters are dying real bad yeah. right now. And hotels and cruise ships. You know, mm -hmm. the hospitality, the restaurant industries, the entertainment industries, they've been crushed by this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think if I had gone through that other, that really battle hardened me. I, I don't know how I would have been able to handle this with the outlook that I've tried to have. Not that every single day has been great, but I've had a lot more good days where I focus on what's to come than bad days where I'm dwelling on, oh no. I mean, the first couple of weeks were terrible. Don't get me wrong. But right now I'm just saying, look, we just got to grind through the winter. We'll get through it. When we get to March or April or May, whenever it is, and patios are going to open up and people are going to go back outside and there'll be some kind of vaccine. You'll see pictures on the news. Our morale as a country is going to go up. We're going to go through a growth spurt in our industry, like we haven't seen in our careers. 12, 24 months, I don't know what it'll be. There'll be this tremendous growth spurt and there'll be this tremendous period where the operators are gonna be more profitable because there'll be less competition. So we just have to hold on to that. Had I not gone through the previous experience, I wouldn't be thinking about March, I'd be thinking about next week, woe is me, but we're not there. We're gonna take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. You know, you got a good point, right? Like, what is this going to look like as we come back? There's potentially, you know, there's kind of two sides of this, right? Some people think, hey, you know what? Everyone's going to see, it's gonna, we're going to hit springtime, we're going to have a vaccine, and everyone's going to come out of the woodwork. Like, we're all just going to be popping out like, yeah, it's great, let's go back. But it might also be a slow return too, right? A so, slow, steady climb. Um, but I think we're touching on a topic though that I wanted to talk about, which is obviously, you know, we talked about it, right? Restaurants, hotels, everybody you sell into right now is having a tough time. How has this affected your team and affected the main business? Yeah, so I've been talking to my team a lot about at the highest level of our company, not only do we have to adhere to what we're trying to get done strategically, hold our people accountable to what they're supposed to be doing, but I, I, I've said the next four to six months, as people managers are gonna be the toughest we've had in, in our careers. It's gonna be about people keeping people's morale up and making sure people understand there is light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see it yet. It's been very difficult. We had to go through a lot of terrible and difficult decisions back in March. And you know we had to let go of a lot of people, some of which have worked with us for a long time. We've been able to bring some of them back, certainly not all, but there's a little bit of a jarring effect there. And we scrambled like everyone to get our, our, the office I work in in February had 250 people. And now it's about 10 per day. And so we scrambled to get everyone working from home and we went through that. But I think in some ways it also coalesced us as a team because we realized this was a massive undertaking. We turned our brick and mortar company into a digital virtual company in about two weeks. And then I've tried to keep people focused with a couple of analogies. So I think I would hope that people that work in my part of the business, if I tell them, if I say to them, just remember the story of the buffalo, I would hope they know what I mean. And there's a story of a buffalo, it goes like this real quick. Out on the plains, when there's a snowstorm, the animals run from it, except for the buffalo, the bison, they turn into it and go through it because they know that's the quickest way to get to the other side. And so I've been telling my team about that. We're gonna turn into this and we're gonna do what we can to get through it by attacking it, not just hunkering down and, and batting the hatches. 
And I, I borrowed something from the Ohio State football team that Coach Meyer had put in this E plus R equals O. And I've been telling people, look, we can't control what's going on around us. We can only control how we're going to react to it. And that'll help us with our outcome. And just keep trying to tell people. I've been trying, I'm trying to be transparent with our team company-wide with extra communication right now, making sure they know it's not doom and gloom for us. Yes, it's difficult. It's a difficult grind, but we're blessed with a lot of tenure too. We, we, we treat our people really fairly. And so we have a lot of tenure. We've had people that have been with us, whether it was you know the, the bust around 2001 or the, the depression, the, the great recession in, in 08, 09. A lot of our people have seen this. They've been through it and they can help guide the others. I think one of the tough things right now is we're all working from home and I don't know that I'm getting the message to everybody. And I don't know if, you know, some of our folks that are maybe a little bit younger earlier in their careers that haven't been through these downturns, if they really can feel that there is another side, because there is. And I've been through probably three downturns in my career. I know, yeah, this is the toughest by far. This is more complex. It's longer. And it just kind of sucks for life in general. But there will be another side. And whether it's March or it's June or it's November next year, we're going to get to a place where it's better. It's not going to go back to January. We're not walking around in the summer next year, you know, hugging each other and giving high fives and, and all that stuff without masks. But we will get there. It's just a matter of, you know, everyone doing what they need to do and vaccines coming out, et cetera, et cetera. See, that, Man, that's, I hope it's March. <laughs> I, was gonna say that, I do too. That's but. my that's my problem with it all. Not to be like the Debbie Downer, but everybody's like, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. I'm a data person and I'm looking at the data and I'm like, it's getting worse, right? So it's like, I don't know if this is going to be like too negative for this, but you know what I mean? It's like, so- how do you how do you continue to act when you're when 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 what you're doing is hard and you you feel like it's it take you know this it takes all of us it takes all of us NFL keeps saying that it takes all of us but you see all of us isn't doing it so it's like yeah. is there is there going to be another side yeah or did we break it you know what I mean that's what I deal with every day when I look at you know I stayed in my house for for months right and mm -hmm. and granted I have it a lot better than some people and I and I've learned you know over the years to take you have to take a mental check on okay like I'm not homeless you know start at the bottom and move your way up and that's a good way to keep your, your mental state. But, you know, we're looking at just, just yesterday, they announced that we had the highest, you know, reported cases of the whole time. I'm not, we have to get into all that, but I'm saying it's like, what is it going to take for everybody to actually get on board? You know? And that's yeah. the thing that's right. We keep talking about, is it like that, you know, the afterlife where we all tell ourselves a different story so that you get, so you can cope with how much life sucks or what is it that we need to do? And I'm not, and I'm not saying that you're doing anything wrong. That just brought up this thing that I've been dealing with lately, which is, Man, what does it what does it actually look like, and what do we actually have to do? Because it just feels like it's like, oh, we're gonna get through it, we're gonna get through it. And I'm looking at this like eight months, nine months, you know, like it just keeps going and going, and now these numbers are are climbing. So it's kind of like, I guess, as the you know dealing with all these people, is that something you have to reassure people, or yeah, is that something? I, I, I um, I'm constantly reassuring people. Mm -hmm. Every letter I send out, I thank all of our people for all their efforts especially those in our warehouses, our retail stores, where you can't do it remotely. Mm -hmm. You have to be there. I especially thank them. And I let them all know it's a grind, but we're going to get there. I'm with you. I mean, I see the numbers and it's terrible what's going on. And there's times I don't feel good about it. Yeah. And now, I'm not perfect either. I'm not saying like I'm yeah, the, right, right. the model, but, and it's just, man, it's, I, it's, um, it's disheartening. I, I've tried to surround myself with positive people. My CFO, it's amazing to me the positive outlook he has. So mm -hmm. I, I I did that on purpose. Part of why he got the job was his positivity. Yeah. Because then I always have that influence on me. And 
I went back and I read about the 1918 pandemic mm-hmm. when this all started. Not to be Debbie Downer, right? And if you read that, the first season wasn't that bad. It was the first fall. It was that next fall. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And winter. And that's winter is coming. Whether you watch Game of Thrones or not, winter is coming. Yeah, that, and, that meme came back at one of the debates. I saw, yeah. you know, the thing. And they were like, this is relevant again. Right, Maybe right. Laugh. But even if, you know, you, you can read all the science and the first vaccines are going to be 50 or 60% effective, whatever. And the lower that number is, the more people have to get it. And we're already at a point where enough people have said, I'm not going to get it, that the equation doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But it will get better because science will get better. We weren't, we're not going to stay at a vaccine that's 50 or 60% effective. We will get to a point where more, I believe more than a third of the people will end up, or what is it? It's a third of the people are saying they won't get the shot. I believe an awful lot of those will change their minds when the reality comes and they start seeing tens of thousands of people are getting it and it's not this horrible thing and Bill Gates is not tracking us and all this other stuff, right? I believe the momentum will be there. Well, they're already tracking us. So if you're worried about that, right, right. right. Throw this phone away. Have you guys been tracking that for (laughs) 12 years, 15, 13 Well, that's why we don't use phones in our company. We still do things like we did in 1902. Going back to that Deliver it by horse. And uh, yeah, we deliver it by horse and we live in the woods and (laughs) it's an underground bunker. No, I absolutely agree though, right? Like that one third of people, right? That say they won't get the vaccine. What we don't want to do is you'd never want to say, I would never get a vaccine no way, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's okay to be skeptical, though, of a new vaccine and say, well, I want to wait a little bit. If I'm not at risk, I want to wait a little bit and see what happens, right? Totally fair. But once you start seeing people getting the vaccine, everybody's fine, things mm-hmm. change. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of right? like, like, it's like your iPhone, right? You don't download update 1.0. You wait till 1.1 comes out because mm-hmm. by then- the early people got it. They got their bugs and they got it fixed, right? Yeah, like a car, you don't buy the first model of that. No one in this year. room is going to be phase one, unless you have a health thing that I right. don't know about. And if you do, I'm sorry. It's the frontline workers. It's the hospital workers are going to get it first. It, essential first responders, the older generations. My dad's generation is going to be in line before me. We're going to know by the time the masses are able to get in line, we're going to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and they've got tens of thousands of people in these tests right now. It's going to get, it's going to take time. But the point is, it will get better. And even if next fall we're still in masks, I believe that enough people have taken the vaccine at that point that there will be fans in the football stadium again, you know, and we're social creatures. We're not going to be able to shelter in place forever. Winter is going to be tough. Now, winter in Columbus, we're kind of already accustomed to staying at home and bunkering in, especially for like a week at a time, you get that brutal blast of winter. Um, But I think, for me, it, it's made me appreciate when we have that day in December, that 60 degrees like we did last Christmas. Last Christmas, my family, we grilled out because it was 60 or 65 degrees on Christmas. This year, if we have that, I'm inviting some friends over. We're sitting out on the patio, right? And, mm-hmm. and taking those opportunities because my wife and I have taken the stance, we're not going to have people in our house. Mm-hmm. Well, when we feel comfortable going to restaurants because my dad and, and my in-laws have gotten their vaccines and- there's enough people getting, when we're comfortable, you better believe I'm back in that restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people will feel the same way, whether mm-hmm. it's restaurants or it's movie theaters or it's traveling and staying at hotels or, you know, just going to a museum or the zoo or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm just worried that we're going to have, um, you know, have you seen Idiocracy? Yeah. I never saw it. It's like, it's like a documentary these days, but we're going to have like, you know, <laughs> every company is going to merge into like four conglomerates and every hotel will be owned by, you know, the same company. Amazon, right. Google. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the, that's the view I'm seeing. It's like, yeah, we like, even on the humanitarian side of it, it will get better. But I'm like, 
do we have enough to make it through it, right? These people losing their jobs, nobody has money. It's all like the billionaires got so much richer and everyone else got so poor. Like, are we going to break the system before the system fixes itself, you know? Well, you know what, Because if, if you drop a nuke on something that's healing, it's it's going to die, you know? And right. I'm, not, I'm saying a metaphorical nuke, but I mean, it could be an actual nuke as well, you know? If the wrong people get mad at the wrong people, you know, and everybody else suffers. Not to make this the darkest podcast right, of all time. Right, I know. We've gotten really yeah. into, all like, right, to the three people that have listened and yeah. kept it on this long. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's not going to go. You know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think people are actually thinking this though. It right. does sound well, you sure have that thought process. Sure. We're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Working from home is full of challenges. Online school from home can be even tougher. Don't add to the frustrations with no hot water for showers or laundry or cooking. Clog drains in your kitchens or bathrooms. You have enough going on at home right now. You know who to call. Let the pros at the Waterworks handle all your plumbing and drain cleaning. Call 614-25-DRAIN today. So here's the thing, right? Here's, Here's my thoughts on this. There was a time historically, at least pointing to genetic evidence and genetic markers, there was a time when there was less than 100 humans left on Earth. Something happened. There was like a small subset of humans. And there actually, I thought I read a story somewhere that suggested that there potentially was one female human being left on Earth at one point. But over time, right, humans, we've had ebbs and flows and we've had events like this in the past. Spanish flu didn't kill everybody in 1918. It's not going to kill us all now, mm-hmm. right? right? And we're going to come out the other side. Now, how long that is, right? I don't know. But when you talk about some of these other items, right, I think people are starting to pay attention more to those types of things. And you see governments like the the EU and even the US looking into antitrust laws and realizing these big conglomerate companies maybe aren't great for competition mm-hmm. and maybe aren't ideal. And I think actually Google just got antitrust laws uh, and antitrust suit filed against it because of some of the things they were doing. So it's, it's, Please don't sue me, Google, if that's incorrect. Um, they're not going to sue you. They have they so much information right. on you, yeah. they're going to mess with you in other ways. Yeah, but the point is, people are starting to pay attention to stuff like that. And we're noticing that these large conglomerate companies aren't great for business and we're filing antitrust suits and mm-hmm. all that type of thing. And, and ultimately, right, I think that sometimes you have to believe in things whether or not they might may be true mm-hmm. because it allows you to push through and it makes you a better person. And I think that, yeah, we can sit here and say, oh man, like maybe everything collapses and maybe society collapses and maybe whatever the result of the election, everybody comes in and, and you know, we have a civil war in the United States. Don't think that's going to happen, by the way. I'm not trying to incite anything here. But, but the point is you can do all the what ifs in your head, but ultimately it's you're going to be better off and, and, and history shows that being optimistic is usually the correct call. Yeah. And so what, what I think, what I hope from all of it is that there's, there, there's usually bad before you realize there's a problem, right? Like you don't, you've, it's very rare that you perform preventative maintenance on anything. So I, what I'm hoping is that people see this and see, cause it's kind of bringing out the bad in a lot, right? The negative, the, the selfishness. Mm-hmm. I think selfishness is the root of most problems, right? If you can actually look at what's better for a group, whether it be the entire human race or just your family, rather than what's good for just you and come out with like a less selfish approach and we have empathy. I think that's the, it puts people that they realize, oh, okay, here's what I need to do. Or here's like my input on it, you know, rather than how, what can I get out of this being like, okay, well, it's bad. Let's, let's band together and fix it. So what I'm hoping is that it brings out, we, we almost reached this low that we're in right now. 
and it brings out the people that we need to kind of step up and be like, all right, finally, I'll, I'll get up and do it. You know, mm-hmm. like Iceland with their, in the seventies, they took their, uh, basically their entire grid and went from, uh, fossil fuels to now they're completely running on their own natural gas. It took a, it took a lot of hard work and a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. could have made money, things like that, but they were able to turn it. It's only 300,000 people, you know, but if we can take things like that and somebody steps up and like, all right, look, I'll sacrifice my potential for profit for the, the greater good, which I think in the end would actually benefit them more. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot of people though. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you're talking about altruism. Yep. And when you get into people that have the kind of power to make change like that, they're not always the most altruistic exactly. people. But that's what makes me stay up late at night. And but what, hey, I, I don't know? think you have to worry about it. I, I mean, there are these grand issues, climate change, that have to be addressed. Mm-hmm. But I also believe whether it's solar power, the price of solar power keeps coming down and down. Sooner mm-hmm. or later, if it hasn't already, it will cross the threshold where it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Then you see mass adoption, right? You're seeing it with electric cars. I mean, think about where we were five years ago with electric cars. Mm-hmm. And now- Every automobile manufacturer has an electric vehicle. You can find charging stations at Whole Foods, you know, Mm -hmm. and you go to Easton, you can get it charged, the airport, wherever. So it takes time sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think you got to remember, we've been through these pandemics before. Mike said that, right? 1918, but you go back before that, the Black Plague, the blah, blah, blah. And these things happen and we recover and we come out of it. And eventually society moves on to where it's not deep in your memory. We're living it right now, so it's a dark period, so you have these visions of it. But if this is one year or it's three years, either way, it's a blink of an eye of time. Mm-hmm. And my kids are my kids are 12 and 14. This is horrible to them, right? I mean, I've got the benefit of time because where they think this is the worst thing ever because I'm gonna miss out on this. I know that in 10 years, that event that they miss now won't matter. But that's because I've got a perspective of time. Mm-hmm. If you take a step back and there's a bigger perspective, as humanity, we've recovered from everything. Now, sooner or later, you want to talk about it getting real dark, there will be an extinction event. Existential right? risks. Here we go. I'm ready to talk about them. There's going to be a giant <laughs> meteor or climate change will come back and get us. Super intelligent AI. Super intelligent, evil AI. Evil AI. Right? Yeah. There will be something. And I believe AI is going to get out of the box. There's too many people that are going to chase it. And I read this story once about, this was a, um, it was a futurist who said, imagine you create AI just to have, and you teach it to to be the most efficient, I think it was uh, envelope addresser. Hey, yeah, I've read the same one. Michael Y? Uh, yeah. 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 And then to do that, to get to that point, though, it had to eliminate everything else. Right. Right. Because it figured out at some point that, you know what, like humans could stop me, turn me off and I would have to stop writing handwriting tools. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then it decided it needed to kill everybody. And yeah, right. we've right. gone down a way dark. Path we've gone. You guys are going to get me drinking way tonight. down into the rabbit hole, guys. <laughs> so. Um, so the last 10 minutes are going to be edited out. We'll go to, we'll go back to let's go back to Andy, food service. Andy, we'll let you decide. I mean, if you I, enjoyed I find listening this, that, yeah. I find this more interesting than inventory. No offense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, no offense taken at all. How many what dishwashers do you have? I do too, but I don't know what your listeners would think. <laughs> right. right. Well, let's, let's take it back here. We'll talk a little bit. So kind of heading towards the end of the show here. What do you see like goals wise on, on the future for the Wasserstrom company next three to five years? Hopefully as we get out of this pandemic, what, where do you see it going? You know, I have goals. Uh, you know, the first goal is let's get our industry back to a state of stability. And if I can, I want to take a step back and encourage everyone listening, go visit your favorite restaurant. And if you're not willing to eat there, take do takeout. 
do delivery only if you don't use the third party Uber and DoorDash. They take such a large percentage of the cut. Restaurants do not make money when they have to deliver through Uber and DoorDash and Postmates, et cetera. Support your local restaurant scene because without it, they're going to, a lot of them are going to disappear. They're not all going to go away. But from what I'm reading, we, we've lost in this country already 75 or 80,000 restaurants. And the prediction could be up to another 100,000 between now and March. And if, you know, if you have a place you love in your neighborhood and you want to see them there in the spring, you need to go support them over the next four months. So anyway, I think the first goal I have is get back to stability for the industries we serve. The next goal then is start rebuilding to the level that I've built a company to support. So I've got all this overhead with buildings and systems and equipment, all this stuff. And we need to get to a point where our revenue needs that much infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll get there. And, you know, for us, it's really about just try to be a better company tomorrow than we were today. You know, be better with our customers as far as reducing errors, reducing costs, so you don't have to pass on cost increases. Be great to the community who's been great to us. And we try to give back. Everyone on my leadership team to get their year-end bonus has to do 20 hours of community service to some organization that they choose. You know, so just try to be a great steward to the community. Columbus has been great to us, and we want to give back to Columbus. And, um, you know, look for opportunities for our people. And if we continue to grow as a company, there'll be opportunities for our people to continue to grow and and they can take care of their families. And and for me, that's what it's all about. It's it's not like being the, the next $5 billion company or rolling up our industry or anything like that. Just want to be a good little wholesale food service equipment supply distributor and manufacturer. Right, yeah, and- <laughs> Cousin's going to be upset I didn't mention And it. Rack Squared. And, and, and technology coming yeah. with Rack Squared. I keep and thinking you're saying Racks Squared. Racks, like no. the, the restaurant Racks. No, you're talking about I actually should also earlier. mention we started up a cannabis wholesale distribution company where we sell kind of like what we do for restaurants, where it's everything but the food. Mm-hmm. In the cannabis space, it's everything but what you need to consume cannabis. So it's everything for the cultivation mm-hmm. part of the industry, for processing or for dispensaries. And we just noticed a lot of the items, especially in the processing area where they make edibles, a lot of it is stuff we already sell. Mm-hmm. So there's another new business. We started that up. The site just launched in December. Not the best time to start a business, but it's in an industry that's been growing through this. And mm-hmm. we're starting to see some momentum pick up and okay. ho- hope, that, hope that thing takes off too. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, okay, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. One of our listeners asked us to, you know, when we're talking to, you know, especially people who have had a lot of success and, and you know, like Wasserstrom Company and yourself, you've had a lot of success over the years and you've built up, you know, probably a good amount of wealth. I don't want to assume, but have you ever thought about long-term what you want to do with all that, right? <laughs> like that's got, the question was, hey, what is the plan, like the exit plan and what are you going to do with all that? 
So um, I don't know if I should be offended by you talking to me about exit plan. I, I think I'm still too young for that. Well, I said, I said long term. <laughs> um, you could view it as like the company too. Like what right. do you want to yeah, do with yeah. the company? You is? know, my cousins and I, we have kids that are the oldest of the next generation is a sophomore in college. Mm -hmm. So we have a little bit of time till we see if any members out of that generation want to come into the business, A, and if they're capable of taking the business and leading it. And those are two very different questions. Mm -hmm. So we haven't really talked about exit strategy. Now, there's businesses that we have that people come by and say, hey, we see a great opportunity here. Would you want to sell the business? And we've sold off businesses in the past. There's nothing to say we don't listen to that as well. So as far as the business, that's where it is. You know, it's we've got plenty of time. As far as our family and Wealth is a relative thing, too. There's a lot of people mm -hmm. have a lot more than we do. But like I said, we've been blessed. We've been blessed by the community. So we have a family foundation that gives out grants. We're kind of quiet about it. You know, we're not a family that needs our name up on the side of a building or sponsoring sporting events. Or That's just not who we are. Um, but we give a lot of money to local hospitals, schools, and all kinds of charitable organizations to support the, the, the community. It's, it's very important to us. Yeah, the grant, you know, it's funny that you bring up the grant thing. I think that's really, like this particular listener had a question about kind of what's your plan for giving back community? Like, how do you how do you take that? And, you know, because there's a lot of things you can do with it. Like, what do you do with it? Right. So that helps a lot. And I think uh, our listeners will appreciate that answer. But uh, Brad, it's been great talking to you. I think great place to pivot towards our last question of the show. Center around the theme here on Conquering Columbus. And that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Um, you know, to me, that would be kind of pushing myself outside of my comfort zone. I'm someone that I relish what I can count on. And, you know, some people might call that continuity or, or whatever. I definitely like knowing what I'm walking into. You know, in the business, I like knowing what is my next month going to look like. Um, but I think the last nine months have probably taught me that's not always possible, right? So it's sometimes pushing yourself outside your comfort zone. And whether that was my executive came to me with this idea to do Omega Store, our cannabis business, which certainly was intriguing to me, but I had to figure out how to sell that to our family and then our associates. You know, so live uncomfortable with me is just is taking some chances and it's just pushing yourself you can only get to greater things by trying new things, right? Mm -hmm. If you do the same thing all the time, you're going to have the same results. So I, to me, that's what it is. It's just pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, trying something new and, and trying to achieve something greater than maybe you thought possible. Perfect. Well, Brad, uh, again, really, it's been a pleasure talking with you and we really appreciate you taking the time to share your story and talk about everything from the pandemic to, yeah. well, Tim's got <laughs> hey, one more I, question. Uh-oh. No, no, it's not the a question, actually. The world as we know it, Yeah, right? yeah, we're all dead. Uh, no, I actually, I just had an idea. So every time we ask someone this question, I always have like a new thing that I think of, right? Uh -huh. So I think we should have people who are listening answer that question, like leave a review or like send us a message or whatever. Yeah. Tell us what you think of. So if, when he just asked you that, I've been rewatching shows that I know, like you said, you want to know what your next day looks like. My days have been so, I'm going to say terrible. Like I've had good days, but overall overwhelming that when I watch a show that I'm comfortable with, that's why mm -hmm. people rewatch the same show. So when you said live uncomfortably, it was like starting a new TV show. 
And that to me was like instant like anxiety, <laughs> which is so ridiculous because I used to love doing that. But when the world changes, right? Yeah. Now, now I'm like, just give you want to go back. We're watching Friends right now. I know the characters. Go back to, yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I just rewatched a show called Superstore, which is like, I just really enjoy the writing, right? And I know it. I don't know that. I don't remember every line, but I it's mm -hmm. comfortable. I feel like I'm a part of it when I'm there. So I was just curious, like if you, if a listener listens, when they hear that question, do they have something that pops in? And if so, leave a review and let us know. Cause I'd be, I'd be super excited to read what that means for people, other people, you know, that we're not yeah. interviewing. Yeah. So, I like it. And leave thank you us for a coming comment, leave us a review. Letting us know. It was my yours. pleasure. The time went by very quick, even though you took us down a deep hole. Hey man, <laughs> every, everybody's been when, thinking it. Well, I just said it. Yeah. I, that's often my problem too. I'll just say other people are thinking they're like, yeah, we're not supposed to say I, it. I though. agree with you. People are reaching to the things they're comfortable with and watching them and making them feel good. If they start re-listening your podcast, I'm not sure this is the episode, right? <laughs> right. It's going to take you back to that dark place. And then we'll put an exclaimer at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, e. uh, but again, thanks everybody so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.